This is one part of a three-part series. If you are just tuning in, go back and begin with episode 73 and the beginning of the story for the search for Annie Schmidt. Welcome back to the Love Your Story podcast and the second episode in our three-part series about the story of Annie Schmidt and the search for her body. Interviews include Michelle Schmidt, Annie's mother. The support was overwhelming, and I don't even know most of their names. Lydia McGranahan, the woman who found her body. You see, my whole life, my, my voice was not important. My voice didn't matter. My voice was locked up inside of me. So for me to say how I feel about something, to express something that was so sensitive and so real to me, it was scary. And Marty Newey, a member of the search party who was key in listening to and supporting Lydia in helping her to fulfill her role in this complex story that in the end turned out to be a story illustrating God's hand in orchestrating diverse people, timing, and situations that culminated in personal growth and increased faith for all involved, despite the trauma at hand. Stay tuned. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. On Wednesday, October 19th, 2016, Annie Schmidt, daughter of John Schmidt, famous for his piano playing in The Piano Guys, and Michelle Schmidt, was reported missing. Annie was reported missing on Wednesday, October 19th, after her mother arrived at her apartment to go on a camping trip and found out that Annie had not been seen since Sunday. Her car was found near the Columbia River Gorge, and search and rescue teams started looking for Annie in that area. She was from Utah, but she was up in Oregon getting ready to take on a new job. And she, she loved the outdoors. She was a soul who went out and loved to hike and did it on a regular basis. Michelle Schmidt takes us to the day she discovered her daughter was missing. So then when I started to get concerned, I, I started to think, okay, well, let's, let me look at her online banking and see when she, you know, what her last charge was. And then when I saw that she hadn't used it since Sunday morning, then I became concerned because that was not normal. And um, I realized I needed to start looking for her. So I went to the police station, called John on the way and just said, we don't know where Annie is. We got to start trying to find her. And it was really awful. Um, at the police station, they gave us a detective, a missing persons detective that was going to contact us. And um, I called John back after talking with them and, and um, he planned to fly in the next day with Spencer to help us look for her. He began immediately to try to call every hospital and every, just everywhere he could think of that maybe she would be. And he just began immediately to look for her. 
What did you think had happened to her? Every, every possibility you could think of was awful. It was the most horrific experience you could ever have. As we talked together about where could she be, what could be happening to her at this moment, it was, I, I can't describe it other than just the most horrific, hellish experience you could possibly have. Yeah, it was awful. And then I waited for John and Spencer to get in the next day and began to work with Annie's roommate on reaching out on every social media site that we could to try and see if anyone knew where she was, had had any, any the last contact they'd had with her. We just started looking for her. Annie was 21 years old. Her last Facebook post sent on the last day of her life was, quote, Fill your life with good vibes, unquote. Annie's missing drew national attention. The Facebook site, Remembering Annie, has over 14,000 followers. How does Lydia, a person who has no idea who Annie Schmidt is, become the key to finding her body? I was sitting at my writing desk in the morning and um, I had piano guys on Pandora sitting next to me and I was doing my writing and I just felt this um, voice come at me. The voice said, turn the TV on. So I went back to doing my writing and um, then again, turn the TV on to the news, turn the TV on to the news. And finally I was like, I couldn't focus anymore. So I went and turned the TV on and I put the news on and sure enough, it was the very end last like maybe 20 seconds of saying there was a missing hiker in the gorge. And then it said this girl named Annie Schmidt, she was 21. Um, they found her car there and it had, she'd been missing at that point, I think it was for three days, three and a half days. And they found her car there. So right away, you know, my thought was like, oh my gosh, in the gorge, I know the gorge, I hike the gorge, I hike there frequently. At the same time I, that I was thinking, I know this place. I'm like, I'm, I felt an overwhelming just kind of presence kind of come over me saying, you need to go look for her. And at the same time, I had this other little voice saying, you're, you're nobody. Why would you go look for her? You're not, you're not a search and rescue person. You have no right to be out there. They have real professional people out there searching. But I kept feeling like you're supposed to go look for her. And I'm like, oh, no, no. I'm just going to Google her name. Who is this girl? And I Googled Annie Schmidt and it comes up that she's the piano guy's daughter. And I'm like, the piano guy's daughter, you're kidding me. And that right there all of a sudden hit me. I'm like, oh my word, these guys have in some way saved my life. The healing that I have gained from my writing and the freedom I've gained through writing my story of my past because of having that music of piano guys next to me and playing, I'm like, oh my word, I need to go look for her. I owe it to these guys. You know, I need to go look for her. But at the same time, the fear, I, I really believe that the enemy is right there. When we're called to do something in this world, and I believe that God puts callings on us and, and it, it, he speaks to us in different ways, but when he speaks to us and asks us to do something, I believe the enemy is right there and he is ready to speak to us as well. And his voice, the voice of fear, and that in that fear, it is going to be, you know, you're, you're not good enough. You're not capable. You have no right to be there. You're not a search and rescue expert. And who are you? You're nothing. 
there was a lot of battle going on, but then I'm, but I'm also battling this, like I owe it to the piano guys. I owe it to go help and maybe I can help, maybe somehow. I continue and I see some more things on Facebook and I end up getting pulled into Annie Schmidt's Facebook page. And so I'm like, okay, I'll glance at that. You know, I'm just at this point kind of being a nosy person into her life going, who is this girl? So I'm looking at her Facebook page and there was a post um, from her mom. And it was pretty much that, you know, it sounded like um, in, in the post that they are um, as needing help. And if you are an experienced hiker and feel like you're capable of the train, it's a very difficult, um, challenging train in the gorge. And if you're capable of that, we could use your help. And to me, that was an invitation. And that was an invitation outside of myself and outside of my all of my hesitancies of who I am. And I took that invitation, like, I gotta go for this now. I gotta go for this, because I've been, I've been asked. And that's when I reached out and, and texted the number that was there, which I believe was Michelle Schmidt's phone number. I'm not completely sure, but it may have been. And I received a message back saying, yes, come Sunday morning. That was gonna be two days later for the search. So I showed up that Sunday morning and during those two days I could hardly focus on anything else other than gotta find this girl we gotta find this girl at that point there's a possibility she was alive still you know we really didn't know what had happened so it was like I felt like time was of, of the essence on Sunday they had a group of people coming in that were volunteers mostly it was gonna be like a Sunday for a few days like three days um, and be volunteers that and a lot of them were from the same faith of the Schmitz that um, were gonna come help with the search. And so they, that search, I believe that one was for three more days after the law enforcement, they kind of wrapped up what they were doing. And then it was like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of that following week would be any family, any friends, anybody that could come help, help. If you feel like you're capable and you have time and want to. You know, this is at this point been a little longer than a week since she had been missing. So I came in on that day and it was actually a pretty short day. I went out, um, they put us into groups and they signed each person in a group and they looked at me right away. One of the first comments that somebody said as they were putting people into groups, they said, mm, you look experienced when they looked at me. And you know, inside I'm going, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. But at the same time, I had felt such a calling that I was supposed to be here that I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and so that's what came out of my mouth. And at the same time, my thoughts were like, oh, what did I just do, you know? So they're like, you're in group one. And so they put me into a group with four or five other guys. And we had a certain section that we were going to be searching. Everybody had different sections around that area because where her car was parked, um, it wasn't necessarily at any specific trailhead. Mm -hmm. It was uh, near a, a on, kind of on an off ramp, near an exit. And so there was multiple um, directions she could have gone as far as hiking, multiple trails. So all of the search and rescue groups were um, kind of dispersed into different areas. So our group went out and we had a river that we were going to search along and just through all the banks, fishing through, just looking for any evidence, anything, anything, anything at all. And we were done by noon with the section that we were supposed to do. We came back to the parking lot where the base was at, where the tents were and all the groups were kind of coming in at that point around that time. And I said, I, I'm here all day. So I, I will go again, do you have another group going out? And they're like, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if we get another group. I waited for about an hour. And then finally, um, one of the people that was in charge said, we're not gonna put anybody else at this point out. 
this is fall, it starts to get dark, you know, early, they don't want anybody else, you know, going missing out there. So they kind of want to wrap things up by noon or one o'clock. And so I went back to where Annie's car was parked. So I'm like, I'm not done. I'm not going home. I felt like there was still work to do. It wasn't dark yet. And I hike alone often. I feel like I am wise in, in that. And so I went to where her car was parked and I just said, God, where did she go? Where did she go from here? And I started walking and I started walking out onto a trail and I did a switch back up onto this hill and it's called Trail 400 and it runs along I-84, which is the main road that goes along the Columbia River Gorge. And I just kept walking and I, I felt led to be in that place. And as I kept going, I'd never hiked this trail. Now I've hiked a lot in the gorge, but this one exit, I've never done any hikes off this one exit. So it was one area I didn't know specifically, but I kind of, I knew the train, I knew what the, the area was like. So I started hiking down the trail. I saw another trail go off to the left and a little rock on the ground. And um, I noticed on the rock, there was an arrow pointing up this trail to the left. And it was a little scratched letters in the rock and it said Munra. I'm like, Munra? What is that? Is that somebody's name? Is that something? I'm like, what is Munra? I'm gonna go see what Munra is or where, where it goes to. So I just followed this and I got up to the top of this most beautiful ridgeline, gorgeous, that runs kind of north to south and steep, steep drop-offs on both sides. But and it was and I went down the ridgeline until I felt like I was gonna <laughs> I was I was so scared. It was very scary on both sides. And I finally turned around. I felt this not safe any longer for me to continue on. But I stood up there for a while and I just, I felt really like this place needs to be searched. I, I felt like this place needs to, this is one of the places that needs to be searched more. But my time was running out. I needed to get back to my car and leave um, before it got dark. So, so I left. And um, that night when I got home, I was in bed. I was asleep. And I had a short but very real, vivid, vivid dream. And as I was sleeping, I felt myself falling. You may have felt, had those dreams before where it feels like you're flailing and you're falling. And I was falling and I was out of control falling and I couldn't see the person's face. So I'm like, is it me? Or, and I saw Annie and I'm like, oh, it's her, it's her face. I saw her face and I felt my body falling. I literally felt myself falling, falling, falling. And then right before, like I saw the ground, like, oh my gosh, we're gonna hit the ground. All of a sudden I woke up and I just heard Munra. And I'm like, Munra? And I, I, I said, I, I believe I said it out loud. I don't know if I did, but it felt like I said Munra with a big question. And then I heard, she's at Munra. That to me was like, okay. That's where I had felt called to go and that's where she possibly could be. So fast forward a couple of days later, still feeling that pull to go, but still needing to um, carry on with my life at home, with my family and with my work. I was very distracted knowing I needed to be out there, but I also need to carry on with things at home. Um, I Then a couple of days later, I was just following the Facebook page because they had a Finding Annie Schmidt Facebook page where people could get on and share um, encouragement, a lot of encouragement, memories of Annie, just wherever. Sometimes they put on pictures or just little um, quotes and things. And I found, as I was searching through that, more and more people that knew Annie were telling of a little more of her character 
and of how she would go hiking and how she would go off trail and how she would go off alone. And I saw a lot of myself in her, but at the same time I realized, you know, she's not on a trail anywhere. She really is not on a trail. She is off trail. We're going to find her. It's not going to be where everyone else has been searching. And I'm like, it's time, it's time to get out deeper. It's time to get out deeper and, and, and really, really search for her where, where she would have gone. And at the same time, another woman on Facebook, which I didn't know, but I'd seen her posts or encouraging posts. She had a son that was friends with Annie and her son had sent his mom, which her name is Carrie, sent her a text and Carrie sent, put that text on the Facebook page and said, does anybody know what this is? And it was, a, there was a picture and it was one that her and Annie about a month previous at the beginning of October had sent back and forth. And Annie said, come to Oregon, come hike this with me. And it looked like it was a photo, um, maybe that she pulled off Google or something like that with a Google Maps type thing. And the photo, I recognized it because I was just there a few days earlier and it was a photo from the top of Munra where I had been standing and looking out, I'm like, that is Munra. And so I responded right back saying, that's Munra, that's Munra. So in my mind, Annie wanted to go here. She wanted to go here. She parked her car in an area that made sense that that's where she could have gone. So logically in my mind, this is where she wanted to go. And also the intuition that I had when I stood at her car and walked off and then the dream, all three of those things to me played a huge part in me pursuing that I'm going to find her on Monday. That's where we're going to find her. So here's the way Marty Newey remembers it. I got a phone call from one of my neighbors, and I remember hearing on the news that Annie Schmidt was missing, and um, and so you know I was aware of it, and and I felt really sad about it. Um, I don't know the Schmidt family or John and Michelle, um, but I got a, a call from my neighbor, and he said, "Hey." Um, my brother-in-law, John Harding, is very involved in the search, and he has called me, and um, he, he's really concerned because um, the number of volunteers is really shrinking. They've called off the organized search with search and rescue up in Oregon, and they're down to just a handful of people. This was like a Sunday night, I think. He called me and said, is there any way you could jump on an airplane the next day and come up and help with the search? Wow. And he Apparently, um, my neighbor, Blake, um, his son, Dustin, when um, they were having this conversation, Dustin immediately said, hey, you need to call Marty Newey. And, um, and, you know, sometimes you look for excuses why you can't, you know, maybe there's something with your schedule or you're kind of thinking, you know, how can I get out of this? And this particular time, I just remember thinking, why not? Why can't I help and, and uh, look for reasons why I, I could support? The good news is um, my son-in-law, Nate, uh, we go on canyoneering adventures together, and he's really good at rappelling. And, and so uh, it became a natural. Nate got on the phone, and we decided to go up there together and, and hope that maybe uh, we could get into some remote areas that other, you know, other people might not be able to get into because of our rappelling ability. So you guys just hopped on a plane and went up the next day. Yeah, uh huh. And it may the conversation literally may have even been Monday morning, and uh, there was a flight that was leaving four thirty in the afternoon. So it was wow. super quick. So what was the search like when you got there? I was absolutely overwhelmed and amazed with the amount of love and support for the one. I mean. 
we all kind of compassionately, we could identify. I have a, a 24-year-old daughter and a 28-year-old daughter, and, and Annie's 21, and I could immediately empathize and relate to, to John, and I'm thinking, man, how would I feel if my daughter was uh, lost? When I, we got up there, it was interesting because I'd got a hotel reservation and suddenly um, John Harding's on the phone with his brother-in-law Blake, my neighbor, and he just kept insisting, have Marty stay in a motorhome. And he said this two or three times in the conversation. And finally, um, Blake looked at me and he's like, man, it sounds like John wants you in the motorhome. So, so I canceled my hotel reservation when I was there at the airport in Portland and uh, went out to the motorhome. And uh, we got there, it was dark. Well, the next morning, it was kind of raining and there were hundreds, well, there was at least a hundred people or so from all over the place. But the person that had the motorhome, um, he can't hike, but what does he have to offer? Well, he has the motorhome. Um, there was food that was being brought in. There was lunches that were being provided. and It was just kind of overwhelming just to see how many people that had put their lives on hold the interesting thing about John Harding is that he had been on a family vacation in Bryce Canyon over that weekend, UEA, and suddenly, so the kids were out of school, and when he got the phone call that John, his neighbor, um, that Annie was missing, and he's not particularly that close to John, but he immediately felt a personal connection and calling that you need to help and you need to be involved with this. And so he, they cut the family vacation short. He immediately, they drove back up to Salt Lake and he got on an airplane and he pretty much um, missed work for about three weeks to a month. He became the, the family spokesperson and, and everything. And there were people like that. There was another map guy that came from Bend, Oregon that just was in the army search and rescue. And so he immediately got out of work and was coordinating all the maps. And so it was just all these collection of people from all over the place that just dropped everything and, and traveled to be there. It sounds like there were so many people who felt inspired, inspired and directed to do a certain thing, even if they didn't understand what that was going to be, that that this is a common theme with the, the people embarking on this. And it's beautiful isn't it when something happens that you get to see humanity coming together for the one? It's it's a really beautiful showing. It, it totally was. And, you know, one of the, I mentioned I was staying there in the motorhome, which was parked right there in the parking lot where everyone gathered. The Wednesday, I remember, I heard some things. It was super early in the morning. It was dark and it was raining like crazy. And there were some little flashlights outside of the motorhome. And I kind of looked out and there were all these people that were preparing breakfast, hot breakfast in the rain to try to get everybody for the volunteers. Wow. And uh, I kind of feel emotional, but it's like, who are these people and where are they coming from? And, and maybe they didn't feel like they could hike, but again, they wanted to contribute in some fashion in some way to help. This story is a story of so many people flying in from Utah, locals from Oregon, coming together to aid in the search for one beloved young woman. 
I am fascinated and impressed on numerous levels. First, the selflessness of people coming together. Second, the number of people impressed upon through spiritual means to get involved and the number of miraculous communications through dreams and strong impressions to do certain things. And from an overall standpoint, the absolute orchestration from a higher power to work through so many people in the ways that they each individually needed in such a time of crisis. I had heard from Lydia about her spiritual experiences, and I had spoken with Marty about his impressions and experiences with the search. But of all the people involved in this story, who would be more important than Annie's parents? So I asked Annie's mother if she had had, and if she would share, one of her spiritual experiences through the unfolding of these events as they searched for her daughter. You know, I'm, I'm dumbfounded at the support that we received and the kindness and the goodness of people. And I don't even know most of their names. Can you share some of those um, experiences, spiritual experiences that you felt like um, carried you through that? One in particular that was huge, it was such a tender mercy. On the morning that the official search and rescue was to begin, Spencer and John headed up earlier with some people up to the to base camp. And our car, our rental car was locked in a, a parking garage that we couldn't get out till later. So I waited and they headed up with other people and I waited to get the car out and come, come up later. So as I was driving um, to the base camp for search and rescue, I was by myself and I drove up the gorge for the first time. It had just been pouring rain, but this morning it was clear and just crisp and, and the colors were just vivid. It was just, and as I drove up, to the left of me was the Columbian Gorge and it was surrounded on either side by these beautiful green trees. And then to the right were these mountains and there was fog and, and like clouds, intermittent clouds and, and waterfalls. And it was absolutely the most beautiful, breathtaking thing I had ever seen. And I just kind of spoke out and said, oh, Annie, this is so beautiful and she answered me and said I know mom I knew you'd love it and I just sat there for a moment and thought wow she just spoke to me and she's in the spirit world and she's so happy so did you know then that she that she was probably dead I did I received that knowledge from just that little exchange with her and I was so I was so comforted to know that she was totally fine and so fine that she was like yeah isn't it pretty <laughs> and so herself <laughs> and so happy and that was such a comfort to me because then I was like okay my daughter is fine she is okay and I we're gonna look for her body we're gonna all look for her body but I wasn't I wasn't worried for her I it gave me this assurance and this peace and this calm that I could just 
go through what we needed to do without being filled with worry and anxiety. Of the many things that happened during this search, as a mother, I am most touched by the tender mercies that Michelle just shared about being able to have a small but significant interaction with her daughter. The comfort of hearing her voice, of knowing she was okay, of being able to shed the unknowing was in my mind one of the greatest, kindest gifts given in this whole ordeal. Thanks for being with us today for this second installment in the three-part series. Join us next week for the end of the story and the miracles involved in finding Annie's body. As always, a few parting announcements. If you haven't already, I'd sure appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and Apple Podcasts and leave a review for Love Your Story. Um, I'd also like to challenge you to send one of these episodes to someone in your life that you feel would benefit from the topic. Whichever episode that you choose, go to the website www.loveyourstorypodcast.com or there's a share button on your phone too. Choose one episode, think of somebody in your life that could use it, and then just share it with them. The more people who know about the podcast, the more people who can join the conversations about building our best life stories, choosing faith over fear, choosing choice over victimhood, love over anger, and empowerment and control rather than holding back and playing small. Share the love, people. Don't forget, 21 Day Challenge is available on the website also. Everyone that's doing it is having a great time. So hop on the bandwagon and start your own 21 Day Challenge. And we'll see you next week.